You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, we come and we celebrate, we worship the baby who has come. Uh, I pray this, this afternoon that uh, everyone here, uh, as we sung that song, uh, that that's your heart, to sing hallelujah. Um, as, we're, as we think about the events uh, that we celebrate that were just over 2,000 years ago now, many of you know uh, the facts about what happened that day. As we think about what Matthew and Luke told us, we, we, we know that there's this baby who was born in Bethlehem. Uh, we know that his birth was, was different than other births, that he had um, been born, he, he, would, he had been uh, first conceived not in the normal way, but that he was uh, born of a virgin whose name was Mary. And Mary uh, found herself pregnant. Joseph, um, not knowing what to do with the situation, wanted to to divorce and do it quietly, but the angel came and said, listen, this is what's happened. The, the babe within Mary's womb, she, um, she's telling the truth. It has come from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are to name that child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. On the night that Jesus was born, we're told that the angel appeared to the shepherds, and the shepherds went to find Jesus at the place where they had said they found him in a manger. And the shepherds returned glorifying, it says in Luke 2.20, returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, Jesus' birth was not like any other birth here on this earth. And this afternoon, what I want us to do is not just to look at the historical facts of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. I want us to to look at the theological side of things. I want us to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. But before we do, let me just pray for us one more time. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time to gather this afternoon. Lord, we do celebrate you. Lord, the fact that um, God has come to this earth. Lord, it is, um, it is a wonder that we should never cease to be in awe of. And God, we pray this afternoon that um, as your people, Lord, that we would bring you glory and honor through our gathering. That, Lord, we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And, and God, we're so thankful that you know every heart here this afternoon. You know whether we believe these things or whether we do not whether we are living according to these things or whether we are walking in rebellion against you. God, you know everything about us. And so, God, as we look at your word this afternoon, we pray that you would just lead us and guide us, that you would help us to to understand these things that happened 2,000 years ago and the significance of them. So, Lord, that we might become better worshipers. It's your name we pray. Amen. 
If you don't have a Bible with you this afternoon, we just want to uh, look at God's Word together. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And so if you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand and the ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own one, uh, just keep the one they're giving you. But we want you to see, if this is your first time gathering here, uh, the church here, uh, the only authority that we have is the Word of God. And so that's what we look to as we think about these events from 2,000 years ago. And uh, we want to look at, as I said, verses 14 to 18. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me rakes before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known." As we think about what happened 2,000 years ago, we see it as a fulfillment of a promise that was made so long ago in the Garden of Eden. Now, if you are part of this church, you'll know that we've been studying the book of Genesis. We see that the word, the world was created by God. It was a very good place. It was a perfect place in every way, a place full of provision. But there was a day where Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God And as a result of that, sin has been in the world ever since. The world is under a curse. Uh, Death has resulted as a result of sin. People still sin today. And Satan still is trying to tempt people to rebel against God. So, as we celebrate these things that we're celebrating this afternoon about Jesus, we need to see that hope has arrived 2,000 years ago. Why do we sing? Why do we rejoice in the events at Christmas? Because hope has arrived. First, as we think about these verses, we need to behold His glory. Behold His glory. It says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Word? If you were to just read some previous verses, verses 1 to 8, John begins by saying that the Word has come, that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so the first thing that we notice in verse 1-1 is that the Word is God and was with God. The second thing that we notice about the Word is that He is the Creator, the creator of all things. And then the third thing that you'll notice if you were to read verses 4 through 8, you would see that he is the light of the world. And so when you think about these things, that, that he is the creator, that he is God and the light of the world, and that the word took on flesh, we should just be blown away by that. <laughs> God took on flesh. This is what's happening in the story of Mary and Joseph. Of the baby being in Bethlehem, God is becoming flesh. And it says here, and he dwelt among us. This wording here is the same wording that is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of when the tabernacle was here on the earth. Just as Jesus, or sorry, just as God's presence dwelt 
with the people in the tabernacle. It is saying now through Jesus, the word, the, the presence of God is now dwelling with the people. If you'll recall, we were kicked out of the garden, it says in Genesis 3, because of sin, separated from the presence of God. And so now, in order to solve the problem, God is now taking on flesh and coming into our presence. Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. It says that John is the one who's writing this. He had spent three years with Jesus, and he says that they have beheld his glory. We, referring to those who were like John, who believed on Jesus, who had came to faith in him, had placed their trust in him, they say we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Another way you could translate this, glory as the only begotten from the Father. In verses 12 and 13, we read that we could become children of God. And right away, John wants to say, but this child, this son, is unique. He's the only begotten of God. Another way you could translate this is one of a kind. It's stressing the uniqueness of Jesus. John is talking about the fact that Jesus isn't like us. He is God, as we've already seen, the eternal God in verse 1. But in his coming, we see his glory. An example of this, John, John's going to mention this 17, 18 times in the first 17 chapters of John. He wants us to see over and over again, this Jesus, he is full of glory. John chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus, or John says this, This beginning of his signs... Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. A miracle after miracle. This was the first miracle, the turning of water into wine. He did this over and over again. He did the miraculous healing those who were blind, healing those even who had been dead and raised to new life. Over and over again, we see his glory on display through his actions, through his words. And John, who lived with him for three years, never seen Jesus sin one time. And so when he says we beheld his glory, he's, he's talking about the fact that, that he was unique, that his glory shone through. Again, thinking about this glory... We, we think about in the, in the tabernacle, the glory of God was there. His presence was there. And this is what John is talking about. The presence of God is with us. Osborne says this, The dwelling of God among his people was everything and will be the chief characteristic of the new heaven and the new earth. When we talk about wanting to go to heaven, we're saying we want to come into the presence of God. We want to live with him. With this in mind, John was saying that in Jesus as the word, God's Shekinah glory has become incarnate. He has come to be here on the earth. He's taken on flesh. The perfect son of God has come and his glory is evident to all. But note, not all believe. In Jesus' day, there were many who seen the miracles he did. Even just one example is he, him feeding the 5,000. 
5,000 people got a free lunch with a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. They all seen what happened. And yet when Jesus is crucified, there are not thousands of followers. There's very few. And so we, we can all see Jesus. We can behold his glory, but not everyone believes. Not everyone sees him for who he really is. And Jesus coming... His glory was not just in the miracles, it was not just in what he said, but it was in his mission itself. It says in John 17, 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he's talking to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. In his turning his attention towards the cross, he's saying, glorify the son as he glorifies you. This verse that we're reading right now was foreshadowing what was coming. Jesus is full of grace and truth. His whole mission of coming to this earth wasn't just to do miracles and to give some good teaching. His mission was to show grace and mercy to those of us who are lost in our sin. Scholars, as they study this text, they see the similarities to when God came near in Exodus chapter 34. And this occasion, Moses is on the Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And as Moses is, is coming into the presence of God, it says in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is our God. This is what we've been studying together as a church. We're seeing God's grace over and over and over again. Us receiving what we did not deserve. This love and faithfulness we see emphasized here at the end. Osborne says this, These last two terms are key Old Testament characteristics of God. His chesed, his gracious loving kindness, and the emeth, the covenant faithfulness, are reflected here in John's literal, full of grace and truth. The word Jesus is the embodiment of God's gracious love and proof of his absolute faithfulness. John's choice of grace and truth here are to express that which is critical. In Christ, the grace of God is especially seen, and he is the only truth or reality. The the, the God that was revealed through the law is now come in Christ, and he is full of grace and truth. God had shown his love to Israel in giving them the law, a way in which they might walk in, in order to be covenanted with him. But now in Christ, we see his love and truth. Sorry, yeah, his love, his grace, and his truth. In, in John 14, 6, it says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is now the way to the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. This is the baby Jesus that we are celebrating. Now, not just a cute little story, but God coming to this earth, the exact imprint of God, for He is God. This afternoon, can you say the same as John, that you have seen his glory? 
that you know Jesus as he is, full of grace and truth. The word took on flesh, fully God, fully man. His glory is evident in his miracles, his teaching, and his laying is down his life for you and I. This afternoon, it is our prayer that you have seen his glory and that you worship him. Hope has arrived. Behold his glory. Secondly, behold his greatness. The kids are getting to be in here this afternoon. Usually they're off to redemption kids by now. But, but kids, I, any of you want to be great? Anyone want to be great? Okay, I see a few hands. Okay. Some of you are really humble. It's like, I don't know if I should say that or not. All right. And, 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 and what does it mean to be great? And we think about, let's use a good old Canadian analogy. Do, do you know a, a, a person they call the great one? Do, who, who do we call the great one in Canada? Jesus. Jesus? Well, that's good. We should. <laughs> Everyone should, because that is true. But uh, someone else. Wayne Gretzky, right? Why is Wayne Gretzky known as the great one? What, was it because, you know, he's really good at math? Hockey. Hockey. Thank you. Okay. He was the, perhaps, if you're a Flames fan, you may argue against this, but he may be perhaps the greatest hockey player who has ever lived. He is known to be great because of what he did, right? He had a particular talent, and we can think of other people in this world that we think, man, they were great based on what they did. Maybe you think of Bach or, or someone with a mind like Einstein, right? We, we think of these people in unique ways that they were great because of what they did. However, I want us to note that long before Jesus ever did anything on this earth as a baby, the Magi, the wise men from the east, came and worshipped him. And it was right that they did so because he is God. Long before he came and, and performed miracles, long before he, he had taught his, the, the, what he taught, long before he laid down his life, he was worshipped. And you and I ought to worship him. John the Baptist, uh, John the Apostle says, let, let, let's just take a minute and think about what John the Baptist said about him. And he, he says this, John bore witness, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was, of, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What's he saying here? Well, if, if we understand what the Bible says, John the Baptist was born and then six months later, Jesus was born. And, and, and if you were to go by that, uh, the ranking, so to speak, would say that John was to be greater than Jesus because he was born first. And we think about John the Baptist. He had a great ministry, didn't he? He, he, he was out in the wilderness and people were going out to him. They, they were not asking him to come there. They were going out to him because he had this message and they were attracted. And, and we read in Matthew 3, 5, and 6 that Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan, they were going out to him. And they were being baptized in, by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And so he had this great ministry, but John's whole message was like, listen, I'm nobody. The one who's coming after me, he's so much greater. And long before, he, what he's saying here is long before Jesus 
long before I was born, Jesus was. Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was already there. Long before, you know, John the Baptist is a twinkling in the eye of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, Jesus was. He is eternal. He did not have his beginning 2,000 years ago. John the Baptist said this about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Why? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs of the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. It is not just enough to think that Jesus is a prophet and a good teacher and a good man. We must believe what the scriptures teach, that he is God who has come in the flesh. Paul wrote wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. He left his throne in heaven and took on flesh, fully God and fully man. Jesus is the promised one who was to come. The the one who was promised back in the Garden of Eden, the one who would come and destroy Satan, who would defeat sin and death, Jesus is this one. Jesus came, he lived perfect life, he died upon a cross. As he's on the cross, he takes my sin, your sin, the sins of all who would believe in him, and he pays for their sins. He dies. And on the third day, he rises again. Over a period of 40 days, he shows himself to different people. And then he ascends into heaven. And right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who Jesus is. Behold his greatness. He is the greatest man who has ever lived on this earth. And even now we see the impact he's having, even today, 2,000 years later. And one day soon, he's going to return. As you reflect on his greatness this afternoon, are you ready to bow down and worship him? You see, every knee will bow. And I'm praying this afternoon, you're doing it with joy. You're like, of course Of course I worship him. I see his glory. I see his greatness. How could I not worship him? I fear there's some here this afternoon. You're like, nope, that's not me. I'm not bowing my knee to him. I don't need him. I don't believe he is who he says he is. But the Bible says everyone will bow. You will not do it with joy, but you will do it. So today... I want you to not only behold his power and his greatness and his glory, I want you to behold his grace, which brings us to our last point this afternoon. Behold his grace. John, the apostle, picks up the story. He said, do you see what John the Baptist said about, his, about who he was? Now, now, I want to continue on talking about his fullness. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Fullness. The fullness of grace and truth. 
Again, he uses this word we. Who is the we that he's talking about? All those who have received and believed in the name of Jesus, that have placed their faith in him, they are the ones who have received grace upon grace. What is this meaning of, of grace upon grace? What is he referring to here? Well, some believe that, 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 that it is grace unexhaustible. You know, that, that, that when I sin, God's grace is greater. That I can never out-sin God's grace. And that is true. But if we look here at the context, there's something greater going on. There's something, there's something more going on about the grace. It says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This grace upon grace. The word for upon, it could be better translated and is more often translated instead of. Grace instead of grace. And if we look at the context here, what we would see is that the grace and truth of Jesus Christ is greater than the grace that was given through the law of Moses. There was much grace given to the land of Israel, right? They, they, they were the ones that God had chosen. He, they were the ones who had been pulled out of Egypt and brought into the uh, promised land. They were the ones that the law had been given to. They had been shown much grace. They'd been shown a way to, to, to come before God. But the law showed us what? It also showed us how much we needed a Savior, that we were sinners in need of salvation. And so what the law did, it was not permanent. The law, what it did, what point, what pointed us to the, the fact that we needed grace through Jesus Christ. And so it is today that we have this grace, grace that is eternal through him. Wordsby put it like this, each sacrifice, each sacrifice, the Old Testament, was an expression of the grace of God. The law also revealed God's truth, but in Jesus Christ, grace and truth reach their fullness, and this fullness is available to us. We are saved by grace, but we also live by grace and depend on God's grace in all that we do. We receive grace, one grace after another, for he gives more grace. In John 1.17, John hinted that a whole new order had come in, replacing the Mosaic system. Christ comes in the fulfillment of the law. In Christ, there is no more condemnation full of grace and truth. If Jesus comes and it's just grace and there is no truth, then he is unjust. If he just comes with truth, then there is no grace and we are all condemned. But he comes with grace and truth. And then we read in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What's, it being, what's being said here? I mean, we, we, we know that there were these glimpses where people seen God, Isaiah seen God in, in, in this vision, and, and, and we know that Adam and Eve at, at one point had seen God in the garden. So what is he seeing that no one has ever seen God? It's not simply that they haven't seen him. And some of you might be sitting here this afternoon, and you're like, well, I've never seen God. I, have you seen the wind? We've not seen the wind. We've seen the effects of the wind, right? We've all seen the effects of the wind. 
Very recent history, we've seen that, right? We see the effects of God. We see the fact that he is the creator over this world. We've had that revelation through all time. But now in Christ, we now get to know God. Because Christ has been at the Father's side. He is revealing the only true God. There are not many gods to be worshipped. There is only one God, as we see here in the text. And this God has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. What grace, what mercy God has shown to us. The, the wording here, there's this intimacy of, of, of Jesus being at the Father's side. It is, it is, it is, it is to show that, that he alone could show us who God is. Hamilton put it like this. Could we hope for better access to the Father? Who had more time with the Father? Who has seen more of his work and character? Seen him in more situations of judgment, merriment, or forgiveness? Who would have more, a more intimate view? Who could more accurately relate these truths? Who could more fully identify with the emotional depth of the Father's love? In the Son, we have the perfect revelation of the Father. Did we deserve this? Did, 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 was, did God owe mankind something to, in order to do this? No, none of us deserve this. But God in his love, in his faithful answer to the promise that he had made when we first sinned, Christ has come. And if you would put your faith and trust in him today, you would be saved. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How can I be saved? It's first by admitting that you are a sinner. Jesus had to come because of sinners like you, sinners like me. In fact, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we would admit that today, if we would say, Lord, I want to be reconciled to you. I want to know you. If we would say that and repent of our sin, then today, by faith, we can be saved as we place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I wanted just to give us a picture and a visual way of what God has done. You've all got candles on your seat if you want to make sure that you have those ready because the lights are going to go off here. But as they get ready for this, I want us to stop and think about the fact that as we read earlier, this, the verses previous to this, Jesus Christ is the light who is to come. He came into a world full of darkness, spiritually speaking. We read in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He came when we did not deserve it. He came into a world full of darkness. If we want to turn the lights off, we'll get to, we'll get to full darkness here in just a second. Okay. 
as close as we can. And we we think about the world. No candles on yet. All right. We're going to have that in a second. I see there's some exuberant, exuberant lights on. That's good. But I want us just to stop and consider, spiritually speaking, this world was full of darkness. And many remain in this darkness today. Jesus came. His light shone. But it said the world rejected him. Let me just read some verses. John 1, 4, 5. In him, Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the one who makes light possible. Later it says in John 1, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Many, many people have seen Jesus' works. They've seen his miracles. They've seen his love and compassion, and yet they rejected him. Some of you, up until to this, this day, that has been you. You've been walking in darkness. You've been resisting him, but it's not too late to be made right with God. It says in verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, sorry, nor of the will of man, but of God. We all need to be born again. We need a new heart. We need a new mind. We need a new spirit. Getting rid of the old sin in our life and coming to new life in Jesus Christ. And if you do, then you too become like Jesus and become light to this dark world. So this afternoon, if you have placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, then I, I want you to turn that candle on now. As we think about what we see here this afternoon, it represents the privilege that you and I have every day to go into a dark world and to be light for Christ. We get to go and proclaim that Christ has come, that, that as that baby that we worship this, this, this the day, that, that that baby is not just a baby, that he is God come in the flesh, he came for one purpose, that we might behold his glory, that we might behold his greatness, and that we might behold his grace. And, and today, if you would repent of your sin, you too can become children of God. You can become light in this dark world. And so I would ask everyone now to light your candles, even if you've never placed your hope and trust in him. And, and what we would see is that the light that comes lights up the room even more. Behold the glory of Jesus, only begotten of the Father. Word before all worlds, light that gives life, fullness of grace and truth, Son revealing his Father, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Thank you.
Lord God, we are so thankful that you have come. While we were still walking in rebellion against you, Lord, you have made a way that we might become children of God. And Lord, that is what we are. Those who have placed their hope and trust in you today, Lord, we are children of God. We are now light in the world through Christ as we reflect Christ's light in us to a lost and dying world. God, I pray this afternoon that if there are still people here who have never placed their hope and trust in Christ, that today, Lord, they would have their eyes opened, that they would see you on all your glory. They would see you in all your greatness. And they would see you with open arms. They would see you with your grace. That they would repent of their sin today. They would place their trust in you and be forgiven and made children of you, children of light. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we get to celebrate you today. We get, we thank you, we're thankful that we get to know you and get to grow in our knowledge of you, both now and for all of eternity. To you be the glory, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.